Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. certain amount of, of nostalgia here uh, in our in our new opening title sequence. Hello everyone and welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And uh, tonight, we've been talking about this a little bit. We've been hinting at it. We're going to talk nostalgia. From the Giraffe Lounge. Try the veal. I'll be here all week. I'll be here all week. Uh, nostalgia and member Remember Alex? Member? Member Ghostbusters? Member Slimey? That episode, of course, is uh, stuff from South Park, the member berries. And there's a certain amount of value to nostalgia. We're going to get into that. But there's also the, uh, the, the potential for terrible things to happen uh, if you get it wrong, uh, you know? Well, and, and there's some there's some interesting things that happen with nostalgia because so much of that is not really tied up in the thing. Mm-hmm. It's tied up in how the thing made you feel. Yeah. And how it made you feel at five or 16 or 25 is really a lot about where you are at that point in your life. And you see things like, you know, with, with, with shows like, you know, uh, these long running shows that have big footprints like Star Trek and Star Wars and, and, and Doctor Who and, and you know, uh, even things with, with smaller footprints that have still legacy to them, things like Battlestar Galactica. You end up with these things that have been, they, they have this warm, fuzzy place in your heart But not everything ages well and not everything really holds up when you look at it when you're, you know, the thing at five, when you're 25, you're like, why am I, why, why did I like this thing? Yeah. Um, And and you'll kind of look at this, a lot of this stuff with rose colored glasses and you can, you can ignore the things that, you know, it really wasn't very good Um, or it, uh, you know, I mean, it's it, and that's 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 the pro. You know, there's pros and cons to nostalgia. Nostalgia's got you know the, those emotional feelings and, and being attached to some of this stuff. That's the basis of fandom. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, fandom's got that dark side to it too, where it's like, and, I don't. But there are so many times when it's like, this is. I hear somebody go, <clears throat> hyperbolic or not. It's ruined my childhood, whatever the new version is like. You know, I have never, I'm going to take exception to that because I have never actually run across anybody who has made the claim that their childhood has been ruined 
it's it's more the complaint has been the thing they loved as a child has been ruined current year by whatever effort is going on. And I think it's a mischaracterization. And and at the risk of sounding like the grumpy curmudgeon, I am really sick and tired of people sitting there saying, your childhood's not ruined. Nobody's saying that childhood has been ruined. Oh, there it's, are plenty of people who see it online. I've, I've, seen, I've seen it all over social media at various points. Pick, pick a topic. But the thing is... But the complaint, that, but complaint is never about, this ruins my childhood. This ruins the thing I enjoyed as a child. There's a very distinct difference between those except, two. Except it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't ruin the thing you enjoyed as a child. The thing you enjoyed as a child is still there. A new thing. Yeah, but you, if, you if, see, but thing is, yeah, that's, that's, that's picking nits because you no, know no, what the no, complaint no, no, no. is. No, it's not. It's yeah, not it is because this, this ruins the thing that I enjoyed and I can no longer enjoy it because I can't, I can't enjoy the current stuff. I mean, well, sure, you can it. go back and you can watch you can watch the original you don't Star have, Wars. But the story. thing is, is that it, it's not the responsibility of the people making the current stuff as much as we might like it to be to cater to our childhoods or to our nostalgia. No, That's but there is but there is value. Job. But there is value in respecting the history of the thing. And that's something that we're going to get into because you look at something like Halloween, the new Halloween movie or the Candyman movie or Ghostbusters Afterlife. And it's very clear that those people sat there and said, you know what, we need to get this right. But they also looked at it, and one of the things I think that, that they were not afraid to change things. And I think that that's one of the things that a lot of folks who have bad reactions to new versions of a thing, sometimes it's not good. I mean, there's just, right. there's just no way around that. I mean, right. that's just, you, know, you can't, you're, I'm not defending every new thing, that, any new version of a thing that comes along. Some of it is, some of it is not <laughs> good. But it is also, the, every single one of these things that they did right with nostalgia this year, they were willing to change things from what it was then. Mm -hmm. In ways that both updated it, brought it into the modern era, or a modern or a um, a different era, right? And then sat there, but then looked at that thing and said, "Here's the stuff that really worked out of that. That still holds up, and you can do it in different ways. You can do it in something like the way that the new Matrix did." Where the filmmaker is looking right at you and grinning. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing about it is, though, what makes those successful is the respect for the history of the thing. Whereas you look at something, you know, and, and you can change something. You can update something as long as you're doing it in a way that is complementary for lack of a better word, complementary to what's gone on before, as opposed to sitting there saying, we're going to change it in order to make it better because it was broken before because of politics, identity, whatever, fill in the blank you're going to complain about, you know, then it was, it was, you know, it was, it was too much of its time and we're going to update it for current year or whatever you think. And if you sit there and say, we're going to change it because we didn't like it, then you shouldn't be making a new one. 
You shouldn't be involved in anything. Well, if you didn't like what you had before, you should not be making it now. Well, mm, I'm not saying you have to have. Mm, a, I'm not saying you have to be a fan. Uh, mm, but you have to, at the very least, respect what was done. So that, right. and oh, like well, you're saying, you pull out the things that did work, and you think, use I, those to to pull things forward. But I think there's also. I think there's a difference between respecting what was done and liking what was done. Oh, no question. And and I'm and I I can I can make the distinction. And I and that's why I said you have to respect the material. You don't necessarily have to be a you know a doting fan of the material. You have to at least respect what was done in order to continue along that right. same line. Because there's a certain sure. path that you follow. Well, and I think there's also the there's the trap of the fan who loves the thing so much mm -hmm. that they're unable to move beyond the things that don't work in a modern area of how we consume entertainment and and i think that that whether you whether we like it or not how we consume entertainment has changed it just has because well, we yeah. have different ways of doing it i mean we have more than once pointed out that when we were kids it was three channels and pbs when the weather was good <laughs> Now you can't you, you can't move without tripping over a streaming service, right? Which is great on one hand, but I think <clears throat> I think I saw that there are like five hundred and eighty three scripted TV shows on out there in the world right now. I can believe it. <clears throat> and the thing is, that's great, and that's also bad because. Nobody has time to watch all that stuff. You got 583 great TV shows, and they're not, obviously, because that's right. not how things work. But if they were all great, you're still going to miss great things because you only have so many hours in the day. And, yeah. you know, you can, only, you can only binge things on the weekend so many times before you're like, I haven't moved in six months. <laughs> yeah. And you're dead. So, yeah. I mean. Dave says, but, the good old days of only four channels. I yeah, remember. but there was a lot of crap there was. on those four channels back and, in the day, And sometimes, too. you know, when cable first came out, you know, sometimes you'd find those nuggets on um, on local access. Sure. Which is kind of like it, what, what YouTube is now. You know, YouTube is the local access cable channel nowadays. In, in many ways. I think you, you, you run into some of the stuff with the older TV when you only had the limited options. Is that you literally could have something that was really dumb but hugely popular mm -hmm. and you couldn't get away from it at 7 p.m on thursdays that's what you got <laughs> and if it was bad or, or even if it was good but it didn't appeal to you because yeah. there's a lot of you know, there's there's i've enjoyed many a dumb sitcom in my life i've enjoyed you know many a, a you know a bad drama um something that just does not hold up on repeated viewings but there are lots of things that I just know, you know, some of, some of the biggest shows when we were younger, you know, I, I could never get into Dallas and Falcon Crest and, and, you know, those, they were, those shows were huge and they didn't appeal to me in the slightest. I you think, know? well, you couldn't, you couldn't get away from them. And I think, I think a lot of that was probably the fact that we were not, um, we were not the correct demographic for those shows. Well, I mean, not only that, you know, not only that, but there were not, you were not getting marketed 
the kind of content that you and I talk about all the time mm-hmm. here or, mm-hmm. or anywhere else really um, in primetime TV. You were very rarely getting science fiction or fantasy or horror no. on television in you know the regular viewing hours. I mean, I was I was consuming the getting the most of my science fiction and 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 horror from creature features on the weekends, right? And PBS because that's where you and had PB, Doctor, well, yes. Doctor Who and Blake Seven and and uh, mm-hmm. Red Dwarf, uh, Quartermass in the mm-hmm. Pit. You would get you know because the British. Uh, uh, British television had been doing horror uh, a lot more, and and quite frankly, you were getting reruns on PBS of things like The Twilight Zone. Yeah, you weren't getting you were getting that on, on a lot of network stuff. So, I mean, but I think that you can look at something like um, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Okay, there's an example. All right, The Twilight Zone has been brought back to the screen. Quite a few times, right? Since it, uh, uh, you know, Rod Serling did his thing, and it's never quite had what it took. And I think that even I'm, and I, I think I think Jordan Peele did a, did an admirable job of. I, I think of all, I, I think maybe of all the reboots, I think Peele's may have gotten closest, but it's still not quite there, as far as now, I'm concerned. Are, it, are you it, including Spielberg's movie in that set? No, I'm talking just TV. Just television, okay. Just television. Because Spielberg's and, movie, well, kind, I mean, kinda, broad, I mean, broadcast, not not film. Yeah, but I think that I think and and again, if you're if you were fans of of Peel's version, great, that's fantastic. And, and it, you know, it, it got a decent run. Um, you know, it's had it's had it's had a footprint, which is great. But I think that the period of anthology shows kind of comes and goes in weird ways. We have mm-hmm. anthology shows on you know, out there in the world. Yeah. But they don't, I mean, they, 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 they just got to grab you the right way right away. And because there's so many things to choose from, it's really easy to set aside a show. Um, one, of the, one of the big downsides of this entertainment landscape and one of the big downsides of things back in the day is that it's so easy to give up on something now that you don't give it a chance to turn into something else. So you go back to like Star Trek, the next generation, the first season was terrible guys. It was not good. It was, it was not good. The second season was very rocky. The first season had some nuggets. Well, it all had some nuggets. All, all, but so many of the things where you bring it back, there's nuggets, but you know the the folks who gave up on Agents of Shield in the first six episodes, mm-hmm. you know the um, you know I I've never been shy in saying that you know dis- Discovery needed to jump into the into the far future from the beginning and just get out of you know yeah because that's when the show actually got interesting right um, but you could see what they were trying to do and it didn't quite work but the thing is is that if you didn't like that, you can easily go away and watch something else because there's a lot of other things to watch. And the thing is, is that back when Star Trek The Next Generation got on the air, you're like, well, this is all the Star Trek there is. Yeah, this is all I, I got. A sticker, I either got to stick around and hope it gets better, which is what happened, or you walk away from it and go, 
Well, you know. and, and I think that's kind of what happened with Enterprise, because, you know, Enterprise is on the air at the same time other Star Trek is on the air. And right. this isn't really this isn't really good Star Trek. I'll just I'll just watch the other Star Trek show and Enterprise kind of fades away. And it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, nowadays you're right. People are so impatient, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not being charitable, I could call them flighty, um, uh, superficial, immature, imp- uh, 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 impetuous. These are all things that selfish, every, every person of your and my yeah. age has said about the people. Probably, but I, I, you know, so I think the, the interesting thing can be is that, and like we we've talked about this before, you yeah. don't have to like everything; it's not required. Before, before we know. get to our next point, Dave, as have have either seen Chaos on the Bridge, the Next Generation I documentary? I I think that's Shat, that's Shatner's thing, right? I think I have seen that. Okay, I, um, I have not seen that. Yeah, there are some, there are some interesting stories that oh, are sure. that are told about that that particular production. Well, and I th- I think that I think that you can easily run into a challenge as a storyteller, mm-hmm. um, in that you don't want to do exactly what was done before, and so the risk you take in changing the thing. Yeah. No matter how you change it, even if you make it better, you've changed it from what somebody liked about the thing. Well, and I think I think sometimes that depends on what it is that you change. Oh, because... sure, of course, of course. But I mean that you know, with, uh, while I am not going to defend, for example, um, the second Star Wars movie in the in the modern series. Um, we're we're just not going to say the title anymore, right? <laughs> but and the, and the thing is, is that I don't hate it as so many other people do. I appreciated the fact he tried to do something different than we had seen before. I, it didn't work, but he also he, and, th- and this is I think this is a, this is this is a challenge, and can be it can pay off really well mm-hmm. if you get it, if it works, but it's really hard to make it work. And especially with something like, uh, well, okay, so you look at you look at when they brought Doctor Who back. Yeah, you know, the last time we had seen the show, you know, you've got frock coats and 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 glossy paneled consoles and you know um, a very a certain tone, and Davies brings it back with the Doctor's wearing a leather jacket and a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I mean. There, when when that happened, there were the, the fan reactions at the time were like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "Shut up!" Well, it's all we got. It was shut but, up. But the <laughs> other part of that was, you know, is as part of what are you doing? The other part of that was, is this the same show? There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of, you know, it was it was hopeful. Is this a continuation? Is this a reboot? And then when he, you know, he start, they start peppering in stuff from before. Like you talk about, you know, finding the things what work that you can pull in from the from the thing what came before. And and it and it sounds like the BBC and Bad Wolf is 
desperately hopeful that nostalgia will be a thing. You've seen the rumors that David Tennant is going to be the fourteenth Doctor. He's not. David. David. No. I mean, it's as much as I know a lot of fans would love it. I don't. First of all, I don't want it. Second of all, and I'll and and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because we've seen it already. Yeah. And Davies, and and uh, that's why I don't think Davies is going to do it. So and well, that brings it me would to be an interesting stunt though, because if he's if he's only the fourteenth Doctor for like three episodes, the three specials, bringing and then, him back for the bringing him back for the sixtieth, I can completely see. But um, although I've heard that uh, uh, um, some of the some of the more recent Peter Capaldi says he's not interested in coming back for the sixtieth because he just you know he's I just finished doing it, guys. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, come on, Peter, do it. Uh, but, and, and, and that's the, that's the problem that that's the, at the core, that's the problem with the Chibnall era is Chibnall's nostalgia for the original series is his Achilles heel throughout this entire run, mm-hmm. because there's so many things he's trying to pull the modern series back into models from the original, from the original series. And it doesn't work. You can't. Once, once you've gone here, you can't pull back to 30 years ago. You can't. You're, you're, you just can't. Um, I mean, even, even when you see something like, like uh, the new Star Trek series, the new, the new one with, you know. Strange New uh, Worlds. Strange New Worlds. They're, they're, they're giving you something that mm-hmm. has echoes of that. They're talking about more episodic, but yeah. not completely episodic, more episodic. They're not getting rid of the story arcs. They're just making it less a big thing. Sure. So even there, but the, the thing is, is that you, you, can see the, you can see the things that Chibnall loved. You can see them on the screen. And it's like, that's great that you love those things, I loved those things too, and I still love those things as a fan of the original series. But time marches on in both A, how we tell stories, B, how this character's stories have been told, and C, life experiences of the audience. Well, but, uh, if you make a, sh- if you, for, admittedly, for three decades, you have a show where continuity is not a thing. Right. And now it's a thing. And you can tell that Chibnall misses the days when you can just do anything without worrying about continuity. Yeah. And it's one of the biggest weaknesses of the current show is that he doesn't care about continuity. And it, it hurts the show because he doesn't that he loves the freedom the original show had to basically ignore what happened before mm-hmm. and do something. This th- this story is all that matters right now. Yeah. But that's not how we watch the show now. Yeah. We Spe- just don't. Speaking of Tenet, uh, Christopher says, I feel that Fright Night remake was hoping for a great update, but it felt like it just went through the motions with unlikable characters. Fright Night 2 is a better spiritual update. I haven't seen either one of them, so I take um, your word for it. I haven't, seen Fright, I haven't seen Fright Night 2. I would definitely agree with you with Fright Night 1. 
the, the remake. And I think that the thing is, is that it is an example of a film that actually is put together well. It's got a good cast. Mm-hmm. But what it didn't have, there, there's, there's, a, there's a fine line with a film like The First Frightening. And I think the 80s and early 90s are where this worked really well. And modern, modern filmmakers, for whatever reason, struggle with this. And that is comedy and horror mixed together the way that you would get for something like, um, well, uh, Gremlins. Fright Night. Mm-hmm. There's there's moments on those street on the screen in Gremlins where you're like, that's horrific, but you're laughing. And Fright Night had that that flavor too. And when you've got you know Roddy McDowell be basically playing a character who is ridiculous, and yet there's a gravitas to the character that somehow works. It's a hard thing to pull off. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, a reminder. Sometimes lightning in a bottle is lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it's just one. You get time. one shot. But you know, you talk about you talk about gravitas. A lot of that's probably just it's Roddy McDowell. You know, well, it's it's not. That. I mean, we don't I mean, yeah. have. I don't. We don't have in the modern era today. I don't know that we have stars like that who could carry whatever material is thrown in front of them. I mean, you've got a few that might could do it. But you look at something like maybe like a Tom Cruise, for example, you're watching Tom Cruise. And at this point, you know, you know, you're watching Tom Cruise. It's Tom Cruise doing the stunt, not Ethan Hunt jumping off the building. It's, right. it's like, oh, you and you're impressed you that he broke, his, he broke his leg in real life. You, because, you know, absolute he's... madman. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I don't think I don't we don't ha- I mean. A lot of people compared Harrison Ford to to, to Clark uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart in terms well, of that I, kind of thing. You've got Denzel Washington, you got Morgan Freeman, you've got those thing, those characters. But at some point, you're watching Clint Eastwood. You're not watching the character Clint Eastwood is playing, and I think that takes away from some of that too. Well, and and I think that something is it's a little unfair on the grounds. And again, this is just this is just the history of the system. Mm. Is that back in the day, when Bogart and Bacall and and Cary Grant and and you know so many of these fantastic, amazing performers that we we hold up as being you know they walked you know they 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 built the pathways that later people walked. They were complete creatures of the studio. Oh yeah, I mean they're. There's yeah. a Humphrey Bogart horror film, guys. If you've not seen it, it's out there. <laughs> he made it because he was under contract and yep. he hated it. And the thing is, is that so many of these things, so many of these iconic roles weren't made because the actor said, I got to do this script. This is amazing. Wow. It was, you're making four years, four films for us this year, Humphrey. Here's the four you're making. Yeah. And well, the fact that they turned out to be amazing and great movies is and made and made these folks iconic is happens almost chance. Luck. Yeah. Well, and but now I'm mean, nowadays you've got you know I mentioned Clint Eastwood. There are times when he'll do a movie, 
in order to get the money so he could go make the one he wants to make. You know, you get you get to that level of notoriety and respectability and credibility and celebrity. You can sit there and go, hey, I'm going to make a movie with an ape. Right. Well, and there's there's a lot of there's a. a, And we, we see more of this now than we used to, because there used to be a point again, we had this stratification in American entertainment that doesn't exist in places like the UK, mm. which is, this is television. Oh, yeah. This is film. Ne'er the twain shall meet. And theater is way and theater's over here. Way over here. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, it's like, this week, I did Shakespeare and on stage, and I'm starring in East Enders, and then next month, I'm going to be in this costume drama a feature film, you know, and because they're just like, it doesn't have that distinction. But here we've got this, we've had, because mm. this is changing too, obviously. Yeah. But it also is a stratification between um, big budget movies and little indie film, passion project things. Yeah, low budget. And some of, some of these big stars would sit there and get go off and make that big money. And then they'd star in like three movies you never were going to see. Because they were like these little tiny projects and they were doing it because they actually loved it. <clears throat> but they weren't getting big theatrical releases and you were like, you'd maybe catch them on video or they'd, you know, they'd play on network at some point yeah. to fill in space. Or, or, um, or they, they show up on the IMDb listing and you go, I, what, right. what, what movie is that? I've never heard of that. Right. Uh, and, but they went off to make it because this is a story they cared about. Yeah. And they, were, they went off and did the big blockbuster for the money. Yeah, so can they do this one? Uh, Major, talking, going back to what you were saying about you know Chibnall's, uh, Chibnall's thoughts about continuity, he says the same could be said of Star Trek's modern shows regarding continuity, and he does agree with you because you know you've got to you've got to have that sense of you know it was like what I was talking about before. You've got to respect what came before. And at at the very least, if you're wanting to make something called Star Trek or Doctor Who or Star Wars or One Piece or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or whatever, it actually has to reflect the source material. Adaptations are a different thing, but something that's got 50 years of an established thing and you're going to come in and you want to make a new thing, it's at least got to resemble what's come before. Sure, you can make something new, and you can make something a little bit different, and you can pick and choose and whatever, but it's still got to fit the rest of everything. It's got to, it's got to fit well, in the box. I, see, I, and the thing is, is that I don't think it necessarily has to... I, sometimes I think the box can be bigger. The box can be bigger, and, and the the, you don't have to have... Boxes. You don't have to have a a um, oh my 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 brain's fried. I'm not coming up with a word. You don't have to be completely beholden to the history of the franchise, but you at least have to sit there and go, "This is an apple," or "This is it's the difference between you know you talk about apples and oranges, red delicious, Granny Smith. Yeah, you know, they're at least apples. You know, well, and, that's, and, that's and you got some some shows that sit there and go, apple, 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 pineapple. No, wait, no, that's no, that's not an apple. A pineapple is not an apple. And, and you've got people that don't appreciate that. 
Oh, sure. And and I think that I think what's interesting is that <clears throat> I like I said, I can appreciate when when someone comes along and goes, I want to tell a different kind of story in this space. Mm -hmm. And and I think there's 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 some real benefits to that. And I think there's some real because it because A, it shakes things up, it keeps things new, it can refresh something that's been not been around for a while. Uh, or you can expand things in ways that say budgetary constraints couldn't. If you read the virgin line of Doctor Who books back when there was no Doctor Who television, and you read one of those novels, and then if if you read Davies Foreign Bodies, I think it was his, I think he did foreign bodies, um, whichever whatever his novel was, and looked at original Doctor Who you'd have so much culture shock because they were almost in different worlds because the virgin line of Doctor Who said, A, it doesn't have to be aimed at younger audiences. Mm -hmm. um, B, I mean, there's, there's a Doctor sex scene in Lance Parkins' The Dying Days, guys. Um, it's like two lines and then the book's over yeah uh, it's it's clearly it's clearly meant to go ah, ah, and then you know you're done uh, but it was i mean but the thing is is that because it was the only doctor who you could get and because they were building on things that were set up because i mean so much of those books were the seventh doctor yeah and that darker turn and the more the more manipulative um chess master aspects we were getting in his final season that really so you you had an entry point that you were familiar with and then the book sat there and went let's get duck yeah. um let's get you know let's get and so they went they went to a different place but because it was it built on these things mm -hmm. i think it audiences were more uh, receptive to it right uh measures if you talk about entry points major says trek has long story arcs now all the shows except lo lower decks are like that and that actually makes me think of something because you you mentioned entry points because i've been read i i just finished reading the latest book in the honor harrington series mm -hmm. uh to end in fire by david weber and eric plant and so much of what's in that book depends on you're having read five or six other books. I mean, there, there, there comes a point where we, I, you, comic books are the same way. We talked about this in, oh, in yeah. you know, where do you start? There's so much out there. Where do you start? And um, I think the continuity can be a trap for some of that nostalgia can be a trap for some of that. Again, it's just, these things are have to be handled delicately and carefully and respectfully. And not just from the standpoint of what's come before, but if you have people that are new to a thing, you know, they, they come Continuity in lockout. and, and they, yeah. And they're like, okay, well I like this, you know, this Star Trek discovery thing. What other Star Trek is there? And then it's completely different from everything else. They're like, well, wait a minute. This this isn't this isn't what I was watching over here. Uh, you get that, you know, and then they sure. get the vapors, and and you know, what do you do then? Well, and so I mean, I would I would I would tell someone honestly, for example, using discoveries as an example, um, if if you're looking for something that feels more like the other Star Trek shows, come in in the third season. 
because they jump into the future and it's a brand new universe for them and they're it's it's trying to figure out you know it's rebuild the federation trying to you know it's all it's it's things that you feel a lot more like the other shows now the thing is is that if you didn't like the first two seasons you didn't make it to the third season yeah and so you know but but if i didn't like the first episode well and i think so so discovery is an interesting example of let's try and do something new but let's handicap ourselves (laughs) by making it a prequel to the original show and there's two problems here one is you're trying something new it's risky People may not like the new thing. And then you've basically boxed yourself into this narrow little kind of storytelling you can do in terms of you've got so much that we know continuity again of, of this time period, if nothing else in broad strokes, that anything new you try and do, and this is what happened to them, runs right into the wall of... But wait a minute. I thought this happened instead. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's it's like, okay, guys, <laughs> this is a neat, I think it's an interesting idea. Yeah. But, but Dave's and, just, and 20, 25% enough, different Star Trek. And then, see, right. I, I keep hearing that 25% on, on everything with regards to rights and issues and who makes the money off of it and all that other kind of thing. Uh, you know, you, it's funny. You mentioned, you know, you mentioned Russell T Davies and, and, uh, and his foreign bodies. We've got a foreign bodies as well. We just dropped a new episode on Saturday. I, I sure I'll, I'll shill our own stuff. Why not? Sure. Uh, it runs normally every other Saturday at 1 PM Eastern. We've got a new one out there. Uh, Mr. Harvey and Mrs. Walker visiting Finland. Uh, so go check that out. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we'll have more member berries and such and everything. Stand by for more right after this. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Until you unsubscribe in a sudden but inevitable betrayal. If you have Spider-Man out there right now, why would you do 45 days? That film... For all we know, what if it hits $2 billion globally if they leave the movie out there, not leave it, but just keep it out there in theaters until it can achieve those levels rather than in 45 days moving it to streaming. Now, of course, that movie will be huge on streaming, bring in tons of revenue. Live from the bunker, Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back on the H2O Podcast, Jason Hunt here along with Timothy Harvey. I must make a correction. Yes. Damaged Goods is the name of the Russell T. Davies Doctor Who novel. Uh, You're alien fired. bodies, You're fired. Lawrence, uh, You're fired. Uh, both of which, <laughs> get, and by the way, uh, folks, if you are a fan of, of, of Davies as a showrunner and of his, of his series and Doctor Who episodes, um, and you can find it because, like all the other Virgin titles, there are they are in short supply and they're they're pretty expensive at this point. 
Uh, damaged goods is Russell Davies looking at the Doctor Who fan and going, would you like some nightmares? Because <laughs> I've brought some. Yeah. It's a dark, dark book. Anyway, um, so Chris, Christopher's Christopher got a question. Is, yeah, so so here's what I loved about Castle Rock, and this is also a risk. And, and for those they, for those listening as a podcast, on uh, Christopher's question, I'm building things that were already set up in nostalgia. What did you think about the origin of Annie Wilkes from Misery in Castle Rock season two? So there's there's the setup for right. this. So Castle Rock basically was a remix of the Stephen King universe. And it, it took a bunch of different things and mashed them together in could, because in many, because Stephen King's stories, almost all of them share actually pretty much. I think he's connected everything at this point. Every, they, they, they share a universe or, or, or at least a multiverse because the dark tower series connects it all. Yeah. Um, but Castle Rock took this character and this character and this thing and they kind of brought it all together and and you'd have like somebody pop up here and pop up there and it was it fans if you're you could get these sort of interesting remixes and it's just like it's like Bates Motel did the same thing where you get a modern set origin story for Psycho mm-hmm and that worked, I think, over largely, I don't think it always worked, but it worked largely because, A, <clears throat> the performances, yeah. the, they, they cast that show really well. And B, they sat there and went, okay, we know so little about, you know, Norman's childhood. We have, we, we got the broad strokes. We know, we know where it ends up. Didn't we, we get a didn't we get a movie with young Norman and his mother? Because Olivia Hussey played played his mother, right? Am I remembering that right? Was it Psycho Two? Psycho movie? Is there not only one Psycho movie? I don't know. Is there? <laughs> There's what three Psycho? Three I remember Psycho films. I remember TV because movie. I remember because it was Henry Thomas playing, uh, playing Anthony Perkins' character, Norman. I think. I and because uh, I was like, oh, that's Elliot and Juliet. Okay. <laughs> so, but I, I think that, I think that they managed to do something interesting because they gave you, instead of making just this, here's a crazy person, mm-hmm. here's a, here's a psych, a psychotic killer. They actually gave you and, and, you know, an abusive mother. You get, they gave these characters interesting stories mm-hmm. to get them there. And I thought, I thought, I thought it was well, it's, it's, it's the same thing with Hannibal where they took, they took the, the Robert Harris books and went, okay. Ah, thank you, Christopher. Psycho four. Um, they took the, they took the Christopher Harris, the, the uh, Robert Harris books and they said, okay, here's our framework. Here's the big beats we have to hit. Yeah. Everything in the middle we can we can move around so that these things connect better. Um, when they couldn't actually use Silence of the Lambs as one of their story beats. So they were contractually not able to use that for the Hannibal series. So they had to come up with new and interesting things and that still stayed true. And again, that came down to the casting. That 
you know, you get Mads in there to play, uh, you know, Hannibal Lecter, you're you're doing pretty good right after that. You've got Mads Milkinson in there um, as the bad guy. I mean, come on, you know, that's that's a casting coup. Mm-hmm. It is. What what do you what do you well, think? Well, Robert, uh, hold on, hold on. Robert has commented here. Now Norman Bates would be the heroic lead. He was the heroic lead in the TV series. That's just that's the point. He was the main character. He was he and his oh, mother. Okay, he well, and his mother main, were both, main well, character doesn't mean heroic lead. Well, no, the, you're never get you're okay. Well, the, no, we got we got the heroic lead serial killer. That show was called Dexter. Yeah, and they they balance that weird line between being hero and antihero in that character. But no, these days uh, is uh, and and quite frankly, uh, a cross dressing trans age dude to identify as his mother—that's <laughs> the plot of Psycho, Robert. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's yeah. I mean, he's not he's not trans, but, but he but see the cross dresser. Yeah, but if you're if you're if you're getting into a comparison of Again, and this goes back to other conversations that we've had about current year and product of its time and all of that kind of thing. Because nowadays, if you if you were to present the cross-dressing person as the psychopathic killer, you'd have a whole passel of Twitter people complaining about well, about the presentation of a trans person as a as a as a villain. Well, okay. whereas back then, you know, Norman Norman was not presented as the villain because he was dressing up as his mother. He was the villain because he was crazy. Well, but this is also a, a, another example of of time marches on and how we look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just you know, for news out there, folks, I have trans friends. I'm, I, I don't have any issue with that. But cross-dressing in scary movies, um, there's a whole bunch of tropes that I, personally I'm happy are, are, are fading away. No. The, the killer lesbian, the, the, the evil cross-dresser. Because a lot of cases, and, and that's not saying you can't have a lesbian villain, and that's not saying you can't have a cross-dressing bad guy or girl. The thing is, is that how that stuff's been used has been shorthand. And it's lazy shorthand, right? But nowadays, if you were to use, if you were to incorporate those kind of tropes, it depends. It, I, I think. It, I, I think no, you if you let me let me finish my point. You would definitely yeah. have people that would sit there and want to cancel everybody that was involved in making that thing. Oh, sure. But you'd also have if if, if it was written really well, and and it was a you know it. Again, we have so much content. Mm-hmm. That you can do, you can do a lot of different kinds of things if you write it well. Yeah. And as as more than one person has has pointed out, you know, people, actors love to play the bad guy. They love being the villain because it's it, it's usually the best part to play. Uh, it's the most fun. Um, and the thing is, is that you want a well written villain, and there are. I think the again again with we have since we have this this desire now to to make sure that we're putting trans actors in trans roles, disabled actors in disabled roles. Um, I think there are plenty of trans actors who would love to play the villain. 
the 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 danger with that and we've seen we've seen this because social media being what it is and current year hollywood being what it is i think you are from a creative standpoint you're running the risk of painting yourself into a corner if only a trans person can play a trans person. If oh, sure. only no, no, no. only a disabled person can play a disabled person, because then 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 you're segregationist on the other side of things, and that's dumb. well. I, so I, I wouldn't use the word segregationist since that really ties into a, I think a different thing. Um, but I would say discriminatory. There is, there is a definite argument that is being had in in. The entertainment world mm -hmm. about having more people have that opportunity um and i completely think that more opportunity is is for for any type of actor is great if you know um you know whatever your ethnicity whatever your sexuality um, uh, disability uh, any of those things, I think that more opportunities are better. And quite frankly, because the landscape is bigger now, the opportunities are greater. At the same time, um, it's that, that it's that balancing act because being an actor means pretending to be someone else. And a lot of times what makes a role attractive to an actor is playing someone who is very much not like them. Yeah. And that means that sometimes you want to experiment and play someone who's blind or someone who's disabled, or someone who's gay, or someone who's straight, or someone who's, you know. Now, I think that it gets crossing over to play a diff character of another race. Mm, we've we've not seen that work out well. There's a track record for how that's, that can be bad and is mostly bad. See, this is, this is where I sit and debate with myself whether or not to bring up the article Hollywood's new rules from Peter Kiefer and Peter Savodnik talking about how Hollywood is right now running scared of any, any, any particular situation where they, they dare even think about hiring a, a white person for this stuff. The, and it is an interesting, a very interesting article to talk about the, you know, the culture in Hollywood right now where everybody is paranoid and, yeah, and white, it's all white people are getting pretty representation. And, in, in well, Hollywood. it's, it, have you read the article? Have you no, read I, the article? I, I, I'll send worried. it to you. I'll send it to okay. you. But it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic that they talk about being prevalent in Hollywood right now. And, and it goes to this whole, only trans people can play trans characters and only gay people can play gay characters and only Muslim people can play Muslim characters. I mean, they were making a big, big stink about, uh, one of the, one of the cast of Ms. Marvel mm -hmm. is apparently that, yeah. not, not the right ethnicity well, I, to play the ethnicity. I'm mean, like, I think, I think you the, get the I think right the person to play the character. Who cares? Well, and that's, and that's, that's, that's the balancing act. And that's, that's the discussion. And I think you're seeing a lot of actors have, whether it's Hollywood or not, you're seeing this. You're seeing this pop up in a lot of interviews with actors and people talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that again, we have so many options. Again, five hundred and whatever scripted TV shows right now. Yeah. Um, and and 
the opportunities for everybody to get a chance to play something. And quite frankly, I'm sure there are a lot of trans actors who are would quite honestly like to play someone who's nothing like them because that's the thing about being an actor is that you get to be somebody that's one of the attractions of doing the thing. Yeah, Dave um, makes that you know, point. Isn't it called acting? What was that? Was it the John Lovitz character? It's acting. Yeah. Well, and I think that's kind of the thing that we have a lot of people. Um, uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm less concerned about the debate in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I'm more I'm more interested in the debate among the folks who are doing the acting because I think that there are there are actors who feel very comfortable with I, I want to play with whatever I want to play. Um, and there are actors who feel like they should because they have friends who are these other these these actors who who maybe should they feel that they should be playing that kind of role because that's who they are. Um, I think that's a more interesting discussion to me than Hollywood's latest because at the end of the day, guys, again and again and again, I will tell you, Hollywood cares about your money. That's all they care about. And I think Hollywood is. I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing a change in how they approach reboots and sequels and franchises. Because you look at you, you know, we've talked about Spider-Man: No Way Home, and you know the respect for the fans, respect for the for the source material, respect for the history of what's come before the other other movie universes or whatnot. Whatever whatever factors are 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 at play there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's clearly, clearly get it right because, you know, one, the fourth, it's now the fourth largest movie ever and still is not going to stop. Here's, here's something I got, I just got an email. Here's something that I, that I think we probably should stop before it ever happens, but it's too late. I got a, I got a press release from Fox. You talk about nostalgia. The real Dirty Dancing. Fox's four-week event celebrating the iconic film. Apparently, this is going to be sort of kind of a variation on Dancing with the Stars. Sure. And they're going to take the choreography from the movie. And now you have, um, stars, which, I mean, I, I see the names here and I recognize one of them, uh, Corbin blue. I don't recognize anybody else in this, in this cast. Uh, but it's apparently going to be a dancing with the stars competition to crown the next baby and Johnny. (laughs) Like stop already. Enough. We don't need this. But there you so, go. So um, that's an example <coughs> I think, of a film that was a huge, huge film. Oh, yeah. Huge. Yeah. But it was also a film of a time and place that hit at the right moment. And then it, you know, going back to that. You had, it was that's those actors. It was those actors in that movie that year. Yeah. 
And that's when it was. And there's talk about lightning in a bottle. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Dear Hollywood. It's like Grease 2. Sometimes <laughs> one is enough. No. There's a there's a vampire series that, that uh, a British vampire series called Ultraviolet. And you see all of these uh uh it, it's full. The cast is full of faces you recognize. Mm-hmm. These are these are, you know, some of them are turned out to be pretty big name actors, especially in the UK, but certainly a lot of international success. And they made six episodes and they were done. Right. And they said, is there going to be a sequel? And the director said, no. And they said, why not? And he goes, because I've told the story I wanted to tell and I'm done. <laughs> I don't, I mean, yeah, I could, I could, I could make a sequel. The story sets up, it leaves you with the possibility more the of the story. More, yeah. You you could you could carry the story on, and he was like, "But I don't I don't I don't want to. I've told my story, and the thing is, is that there there was an um, attempt to do an American version of the show, like you do, and it lasted for a couple episodes before it got canceled. But there has never been a reboot of what I think is one of the better vampire miniseries of any kind." Um, in the last, you know, well, in, in, in decades. So I'm like, and I, I own it. So I've got it. And I'm like, I could watch it again if I want. Um, and, and yet, you know, there's, there's nobody has ever said, and, and the British are pretty good about this overall. They've got their own series. They do this stuff too. No, there's no question, but they're a lot more comfortable with going. I made a thing. It was one thing. And now I'm going to go over here and, do some other thing no. and, and you know, don't have to go back to it. I think, I think there's some value to that. Uh, and, and there are times, well, I mean, you look at something like the wizard of Oz, for example, um, nobody has, I, as far as I know, there's not ever been a discussion of remaking it. I mean, you've got return to Oz. Um, uh, Robert's got a question. This, this is that's not the same ultraviolet as uh, no, no, Mil- uh-huh. is it Mila Jovovich in that? Yeah, that yeah, completely that's, different that's, ultraviolet. Yeah, and it's a that's a very bad film. Um, yeah, I, I but I would recommend. But I would recommend I would recommend finding the British the British miniseries. Yeah, uh, because like I said, you would you would sit there and go. I know these people. Yeah. This is like this is like an all-star cast. Well, okay, so uh, okay. Well, yeah, the, Robert, the, Robert's the got a good point. The Wiz is it was a remake-ish of well, of The Wizard of Oz. It was the thing is is that you have things like The Wiz, you've got video games like Alice. Um the Sci-Fi Channel did a couple of Alice Yeah, Tin Man science fiction reimagined in it. And and I think that and and there's a whole bunch of books and comics or they've they've given uh, they've taken Alice in this direction or not, and I think that there's something to be said for those the reimaginings as opposed to just a straight out remake, right? And because I think there's there's two things you run into, especially Wizard of Oz is an interesting case, of course, because it's not a very good adaptation of the source material. You know, it it's funny you mentioned that because we did uh, we did a staged reading radio theater version of the wizard of oz and we took elements from both the book and the movie 
because people are more familiar with the movie as mm-hmm. opposed to the book. And as I'm going through the book and adapting the script, there's all sorts of things that are in there that are not in the movie. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's typical, you, you've got to cut for time and you tell your main thing and everything else gets kind of tossed by the wayside. But the you you think about you know, if somebody were to make the modern Wizard of Oz, ironically, the political elements would probably actually play. You know, the people the people that are making it now would probably want to make it all about you know modern politics and economics, but you go back and look at the origin of the story with the yellow brick road representing the gold standard and, and the silver shoes representing the silver standard, this whole debate and, and stuff about what was going on in, in the time that, that Baum wrote this book was all about what was going on in the in the world at that time, I and mean, you look at War of the Worlds from H.G. Wells, same kind of thing. Where it was this, it was a, a, a commentary on what at the time was modern culture and how the culture was being affected by the Industrial Revolution and all these other things. You know, it, it was there was it was the whole thing was metaphor. Only now, if you did that, you would take the metaphor. And you would attach it to a two by four and you would start slamming people in the face with the metaphor as opposed to letting the metaphor just kind of sit there and be the metaphor. I don't think I don't think they do that with the Wizard of Oz adaptation because it would not. Be... I don't think anybody I don't think anybody nowadays even understands that metaphor for oh, the Wizard I, of Oz. I'm, if you've if you've taken a literature class in high school these days and you discuss Wizard of Oz, it's probably come up. But I think that they know they would look at they would look at the Wizard of Oz. And they would see it's one book out of a series. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a franchise, it's a franchise. Books, and and it's a fantasy franchise. And oh yeah. wait, it's a fantasy franchise. You can aim at kids yeah. who will now grow up with this fantasy Shh. franchise. Don't give them ideas. <laughs> well, but here's the problem. Here's the problem: is that there are. It doesn't matter how much they try. There are some films. I completely forgot about Emerald City. That was on NBC. Okay. I, Emerald City was interesting. I don't think it worked that great, but I thought it was interesting what they were trying to do. Yeah. And I don't think they quite pulled it off. But I, again, yeah, I, Christopher, that's an interesting one because that's, again, that's try and do something new. And if you can hit it at the right point and give it the chance to work out its teething pains, Mm-hmm. You might have something great, but yes, it only lasted six episodes. Yeah. Um, you would uh, um, so Casablanca is considered to be one of the classic movies, despite the fact it was half the time it was made up on the spot. They were writing the end; they didn't know how the film was going to end until they actually got to the end <laughs> right um the stars you know the, our male our male lead and our female lead hated each other um i mean it's it's a it's it's a glorious movie but it's it's the behind the scenes stuff is amazing but here's the thing 
do you remember the fact, were you aware there was a Casablanca TV series? Were you aware that there was a Casablanca remake? You know, I don't think I am. I, I don't think I heard of those things. There were, but that's the thing. Nobody remembers them. Demon Soul was involved. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember. Right. I remember seeing the, something about it. But the thing is that they failed miserably. And you know why they failed miserably? It's because you can't get Claude Rains and Humphrey Bogart to play those characters. Yeah. You can't. Because and that and again, it's a lightning in a bottle moment. And you see the same thing with something like Citizen Kane. You can tell that kind of story again. You could certainly come and, and we've seen films like that. Um, where you know the 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 businessman who's gotten larger than life and, and dies alone. There's we it's not it's not a it wasn't a new story when Orson Welles told it. Um but the thing is, is you're not going to get a Citizen Kane remake because. And thank goodness for that. Well, I, I'm and I'm still holding out hope that we never get the Akira remake. The only the only live action version of Akira I want to see. Is. A very considered and well-funded Japanese production <laughs> as a mini-series. Give me six or eight episodes to tell that story as a, as a TV show yeah. for, from, a, from, a, from a Japanese production company and, and fine. Yeah. But I'm sorry, as much as, as, much as the American, uh, there are great, great writers and directors and performers in America. I live here. I like it. The folks, um, the folks who did the live action space battleship Yamato, they did they, pretty they, well with that. I mean, the, it falls apart in the last twenty minutes. You're sitting there going, "Come on, get to it!" Yeah. <laughs> it it just it just all of a sudden just stops for yeah. for about for about fifteen minutes, and you're like, "Okay, you've 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 made you've made the decision of what you're going to do, and now we're going to sit." Right here on this one, but I was like, "No, stop! Go, do go, move the story." And but other than that, it's really, really, really good. Um, and yeah, what about? I did see that the the feminist nineteen eighty four remake. They're doing that book from her point of view. I don't and, see and that technically as a re. It's a remake ish. It's because other other authors have done this kind of thing. And McCaffrey Mm -hmm. did it and Dragon Riders of Pern, where you have certain events that played out in that first trilogy that then play out again from a different character's perspective. And the next in the in the in the drum, the drum, the Dragon Hall, the the uh, the music hall trilogy, the Harper Hall trilogy. So, you know, and David Weber's even done it. We've seen this where. Certain scenes will show up in various different books, and they're from different characters' point of view, depending on what story is being told. So I'm not, I'm not 100 percent opposed to a no, 1984 I, being told from a different character's point of view. I think well, if they the rewrote it, you know, and and just changed the gender of the lead, then you'd have a, a different thing. But 
Uh, and I don't know that I necessarily even mind that as much because 1984 is more about ideas than it is about. Yeah, but it, I mean, there's and, and, there's and no reason be, there's no reason for this. Oh, there's no there's, book no, to there's be no there's no demand for it um, in my mind. But I mean, you certainly could tell that kind of story with a female lead. Yeah, a nineteen eighty four style story with a female. Sure, I'm I'm completely on board with that. I mean, and we're even, we're living those days out now, where you have people who are using nineteen eighty four as an instruction manual. So you know, nostalgia uh, nobody, a nostalgia for a thing. Nobody is, but whatever. Okay. Well. <laughs> now, um, uh, there's there's another. You know, you just you just did a, a closeout for for the Wicked production, right? So I, I mean, Wicked's did. An example of that. Wicked's an example of that. Yes, and I right. I got yeah. home I got home at five fifteen a.m. this right. morning, and we loaded 13 18 wheeler trucks. That's a that's a big show. It's a big show. Yeah, I've I uh, I remember I remember getting that book when it first came out. Um, I want to say I got it. I was, I, Pretty sure I was still working for Borders at the time, and we got a I got a galley copy. You know, that was in the nineties, right? When yeah. that came out, yeah, yeah. And um, I I thought it was an interesting twist on the story, and had no idea it was going to turn into a giant, <laughs> giant Broadway production. Yeah, um, which is great. I mean, I, I've not seen the show live. It's actually one I'd like to see. It's um, an interesting. It's an interesting I, show. I've heard good things about it. I I know people who've seen it who absolutely loved it. And I think I think because part of me wants to see it live because having read the book, I want to see how they adapted it. Mm-hmm. The things that the decisions they made because you have to I mean sure you got to make it, you make your choices. You think it's tough to adapt a book into a 2-hour movie folks, adapted book into a stage play that's a musical. Yeah, that's the other thing is is making that part. But it, it's it's one of those where it's different enough that you recognize mm-hmm. the major players. You recognize Elphaba. You recognize the 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 Wicked Witch of the of the West. You recognize Glinda. You recognize you know the Winkies and the and the Flying Monkeys and all these things. But it's. It's a completely different story enough from the Wizard of Oz that you don't you don't you don't even you kind of connect the two. But it's it's almost like this is this is another story that kind of lives in that universe off somewhere. It doesn't even really play like a prequel so much as I know it's the the Wicked Witch of the West's origin story. But it doesn't play like it doesn't use the nostalgia of, hey, you remember this thing from the movie? Here it right. is. It plays it as its own thing. And it does. You know, there are some elements in there that you're going to recognize from the film because that's that's the land of Oz. But mm-hmm. it's not done in a wink at the audience. Look, look, we've got this thing here, right? So right. you know, it it it's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good production. It's it's interesting that I I mean I am reminded of the, what the Angelina Jolie, um, Sleeping Beauty movies. Oh yeah, uh, Maleficent. Maleficent, and it, I think I haven't seen the second one. I, I haven't either. 
Um, I thought the I was entertained by the first one because for me the they took the broad strokes of the CB Beauty legend, mm-hmm. and the production design, and that was it. They didn't they didn't sit there and go, oh no, it's the secret story. Except that's kind of how they marketed it, but that's not the movie you actually got. Mm. And I think that I mean whether. I, I think it actually ended up being. I mean, it was successful enough to have a sequel. People, yeah. people seem to enjoy it. I thought it was okay. It was, it was all right. I, I, went, it was, I was entertained, um, but it also was this. You know, the the biggest connection to the original movie was how she looked. Yeah, the costume. That was the biggest yeah. connection to yeah. the entire thing, and that almost is better to me than going let's make a live action version of this cartoon and not change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Which Disney is doing on everything else that they've got. Yeah. And, and I have not seen um, Cruella. I haven't either. But I had somebody, I had somebody tell me that the movie is actually just a lot of fun, they're, but they're, but they were confused because they're like, this doesn't actually turn her into the evil character we get from the cartoon. Yeah, it's the beginning because we got a sequel coming. Right, right. So, so I'm like, oh, I think I'll watch it eventually because it. Part of me, just for the production design. Yeah, the film looked cool. But then you, but see, that's another. Guy, that's so. another thing. You know, that's another one of those nostalgia things. We're depending on you to remember the character, so you have an interest in this new thing. And then, but interestingly <clears> enough, I think the target audience for that is. The way that they marketed that movie was for the middle group, mm-hmm. not the kids and not the folks who are old enough to remember when the thing played on they're marketing Sunday it, night. Yeah, they're marketing and, it to the people who watch it on home video. Right. And, and the thing is, is that that's the folks in their 30s right now. So it's, it's a weird kind of they're not really targeting the child market yeah. or the folks who grew up on that movie i thought i I mean okay i mean that may actually apparently it's paying off it's getting a sequel but we'll have to see what uh uh i mean there's it can be done we Mm. saw it we saw it being done this year you can you can do it right and you can and you can do it right without being um slaves to the nostalgia because I mean, Ghostbusters is a very different kind of nostalgic movie. Yeah, but that's than, a good example of them getting it right. Well, it's a very different kind of movie than than Spider Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. It's a very different kind of movie than Candyman. I mean, these are all the the. It's I think you know when we when we mentioned this last week is that I think one of the things that they did really well for all of these films. Is they were they allowed the acknowledgement that time passed, yeah, and that and that it's not that we're going back to recreate this thing. Mm-hmm. We're saying this thing that happened thirty years ago or twenty years ago or or you know um, how many how many years has it been since the last uh, uh, since the Amazing Spider-Man two right? It, uh, it, yeah. So I think that you can. You can look at those things and and acknowledge that the time has passed and yet treat them as if they mattered then and recognize that they don't necessarily matter the same way now. Right. 
but they can still matter. And I think that that's, you know, and, and then Candyman Candyman uh, actually took in the fact that, you know, Cabrini Green, when the first film came out, was a very different space than it is now. Mm-hmm. Gentrification. And I mean, it costs a lot of money to live in that neighborhood now, guys. And it yeah. did not when the first film came out. Um, it was a dangerous place to live in. I had a friend who used to work in Chicago and on, on, at a, in a building that was like right there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in Cabrini, but it was right there. And they would get windows shot out from time to time. Mm-hmm. It was an ad agency. Um, and they were like not on the ground level. They were pretty high up. So, but the thing is, is that that's not that environment anymore. And the candy man sits there and goes, yeah, the world has changed. But guess what? He's still standing behind you. Yeah. And he's still upset. <laughs> and and they made that work in a way that I think was really, really clever. I mean, it's it is one of the more superior horror sequels, in my opinion. And considering how many bad horror sequels we've got over the years, the fact that you can come back to a story like that, come back to Halloween and do, you know. There are people who aren't fans of the new series. Yeah. Um, I thought the second one in the new series was not the greatest movie. But <laughs> but overall, you look at this this current crop of, of horror sequels, the those are the those are the films that are getting the nostalgia right really yeah. strongly right now. They gotta keep it up though, because you know, if we're getting we're getting new hell, we're getting new Hellraiser movies and a Hellraiser TV show. I mean, I'm I'm pleased that Clive Barker is involved, but folks, reminder, Douglas Adams approved the script for the Hitchhiker's Guide movie. <laughs> well, and that's that's another one of those that's been remade how many different times and rewritten and stuff. So well, Hitchhike the thing about Hitchhikers is that it every single version of it has been a remake. Yeah, the the book, the TV show, and the radio show were all by the, written by the same guy. But and every time he had a chance to do it in a different medium, he was like, "I'm going to change everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep these characters, and everything else is going to change." Yes. Uh, speaking of change, not too much changes here. We're we're uh, well past our hour. We're not going to go do three or four hour streams like some some channels do. But uh, we're going to leave it there. We will be back the next week for another discussion. In the meantime, you can find us over on all the different social media channels and uh, various different uh, video platforms. There's a newsletter you can sign up for. We do have a tip jar, a subscribe star account if you wanted to uh, support us financially. And if you've got material you want to send us for a review, there's our mailing address there as well. You can screenshot that. You can send us whatever it is that you want us to review. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Dave, thanks very much. Very enjoyable show, he says. So uh, uh, what about uh, Robert? It's good to see all of you, Christopher, in the the chat. Mazerus, thanks very much for being here and uh, wielding the wrench. And uh, uh, we will we will be back again. Um, uh, one quick note I will uh, I will mention because uh, this morning, well, this morning, this afternoon's live from the bunker, we had uh, Richard Hogue on again to talk about the uh, Microsoft Activision deal. Uh, so we invite you to check that out. And if you're new, 
we do invite you to subscribe, have the notification bell turned on, be around every time we put new stuff out. We put new stuff out all the time. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it's something that you can enjoy while we do it. All right. I'm going to go take a nap. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you later, everybody. Good night. Bye, folks. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 